All right, so all of you here and those of you who are on Facebook, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. And there are some Bibles on the table if somebody doesn't have one. But we're in the third chapter now of our study of the book of Galatians. And here we find uh, Paul is still dealing with the issue that the Galatians were facing. And I'll just remind you of that issue real quickly. It is, of course, uh, the issue of um, grace, salvation by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, or salvation by works. We know that um, Paul and the Bible and the Lord gives us the gospel of grace, that we're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were some in that day who... uh, These were Jews that, obviously, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Otherwise, they would have really nothing to do with Christian churches. Um, But they they were involved in these churches. They came around, but they were teaching that, uh, especially to the Gentiles, that, no, you, you, you should believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. You have to be circumcised, which was really um, synonymous with them kind of becoming a proselyte to Judaism and therefore keeping the law. And that was the issue that Paul was dealing with. It's, it's, a, it's an issue that still exists today uh, in different forms, but basically uh, we still have within Christianity those who teach that uh, you are saved by a combination of faith and works. That you must come to Christ by faith, but you have to keep your salvation by good works, or you, you know, that works are involved, and, and, um, and, and that's just not the case. I know that it's kind of, it, the reason why, I, I don't want you to misunderstand that, um, obviously, faith without works, James tells us, is dead. Um, there is faith, uh, true faith produces works. I was thinking of um, that, verse in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a free gift that He bestows upon us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So He says, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's not something you can do for yourself, but it is the gift of God, um, not of works, lest any man should boast. But verse 10 does go on to say, uh, and this is the one I can't quote exactly, but he says that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So, you know, um, James says, show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What, What that is getting at there is that how do you show your faith? How do you demonstrate your faith? Well, if your faith does nothing to alter your behavior... We, we would really, your faith would be very suspect, wouldn't it? To say you believe, anybody can say it. We can all say, oh yeah, I believe, I believe. And that's what First John says over and over again. If we say, but we don't do, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. 
So there is a place for works. And we are to live in obedience to the Lord. But what brings salvation? Salvation is granted by grace on the condition of faith. That's, that's it. I was talking to um, a lady after I spoke last week um, in Vernon. A lady came up to me afterward and she had some questions about being baptized and different things. And, and we got into that discussion and in that I, I shared with her my testimony. And she wanted to basically, she was struggling a little bit with assurance of salvation. And I said, well, the, the key question you need to ask yourself is this, what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in my ability to be good? Am I trusting in my, uh, in my works? Am I trusting in the fact that I go to church? Am I trusting in anything else except my faith is 100% in what Jesus Christ did for me? You see, that's where salvation comes. It's when, we're, when our faith is solely in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then we'll find out in our scripture here that uh, when we put our faith in Christ, we're born again, and then works will follow because the Holy Spirit produces that in our, in our life, the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll see later in this book. But let's, let's look now at verse 1. I think, I guess, we'll read our entire text. We're going to deal with uh, verses 1 to 14. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham." And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the, he, the heathen <coughs> excuse me, uh, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
Now, that's kind of a lengthy text, and I don't want you to be afraid. Um, we're not going to try to completely unpack everything that's there, but I believe we'll certainly get the uh, meat of it, okay? But let's have prayer, and then we'll look at it together. Father, we now ask for your help as we consider this passage of your word. We pray for the Spirit of God to teach our hearts. And Lord, we just ask you to have your way in us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) So, um, we saw how the Apostle Paul, in the uh, first couple chapters in particular, have been... He's been kind of defending his uh, apostleship. And not for any egotistical reasons, but simply for the fact that to establish the authority of his message. Paul has basically been saying that, um, look, the ministry that I have, I'm not a self-appointed apostle. Christ has called me. Christ has commissioned me. And the message that I preach is not a self-styled gospel, but it is the message that the Lord has given me. And that gives uh, the authority to the message that he preaches. And we must, you know, we must have a standard for faith. When every man does that which is right in his own eyes, um, that's, that's never, you know, things, we, we're studying the book of Judges and we see things don't turn out well when we do that. So we must have a standard. I, it's funny, I was, um, when we bought this uh, FM transmitter, I opened the box and the transmitter was there and the power cable and everything like that that made sense. But then there was this rolled up uh, tape measure, kind of like you would use for sewing or something. You know, one of them plastic ones you can roll up. Although I looked at it and I said, this does not seem right. An inch was... It just seemed too big. And I, and I compared it to a normal ruler, and sure enough, one inch was like over two inches. And I thought, what kind of a thing is this? This was disconcerting. I, all my life I knew an inch was this big. Now it's not the same. And, you know, if we don't have a standard by which to measure things, well, we'd all be left to our own surmisings, Right? And um, uh, now, I assume this transmitter came from China. And I saw, and I actually looked it up, and the Chinese do have a different measurement. I don't know what it's called. But I thought, well, no wonder the Chinese are always uh, doing their own thing. They have their own measurements, you know. I remember when we moved to Canada... Uh, I sort of knew the metric system a little bit. And Canadians have a a complicated uh, relationship with the metric system. (laughs) Because some things you go and you look in the flyer and it says so much a pound, and you go to the store and it's only by grams. And I can't tell what's what. Or, you know, you, you buy things by the foot at the hardware store and rather than the centimeter or the meter. And so... It's just a complicated thing, but um, I have tried to convert. I'm okay with centimeters, meters. I'm okay with even Celsius. Now, my wife is still 
heart ardently sticking to Fahrenheit. Um, but I understand. I know. I know this. Zero is cold, and thirty is hot. And somewhere in between there is pretty decent. So uh, I kind of know that much. But when you get to grams and milligrams and those kind of things, then I'm I'm totally lost. But you see, what I'm trying to say is that when it comes to truth, they're probably going to lap the block here three times. Um, when it comes to truth, you have to have a measurement. You have to have a standard. Because, you know, th- this is the problem. Many people today say, well, there, you know, is there any absolute truth? Or are we all left to kind of estimate what is true, what is morally right, what is good, what is wrong. And the world changes. I, I kind of, um, I, I get a little bit tickled with, um, you watch social media and different things and people are appalled about certain things that go on. And, they, and you, you've seen these statements. They say to me, or they say online, um, how is this possible? It's 2021. We're not living in the 1600s, like as though, you know, man has changed and things that were acceptable in the 1600s is no longer acceptable. Well, that's generally true. But these things are still going on and they can't figure out why this is still happening in 2021. Well, there's a couple reasons. One is man is still the same. He's a sinful creature. And, but, but it also goes to show you that uh, society rules change. They change all the time. And if we're left at the whims or the prevailing, you know, the prevailing winds of society, that's what drives right and wrong, well, we're going to be all over the place. And so we need this uh, standard. And the, the standard of faith for us, the standard of truth for us is the Bible. I think we can all agree on that. Amen? The Bible is where we... And so, if it's a, you know, you say, what do you believe about this? It really doesn't matter what I believe about this. It matters what, what does the Bible say about it. And whatever the Bible says about it, well, that's what I believe about it. Okay? Well, Paul has been establishing that authority of, of the Word of God. And now he moves in this chapter to his theology, basically. I like the. I, I was trying to figure out a good title for the message, and I, uh, I put one on the email last night, but I changed it because I saw this one in a commentary, and it, it was much catchier. It's called a case for grace. Um, but we're going to look at this case for grace that Paul is talking to the Galatian people about, and basically, I'm going to divide this passage, this section, into three bite-sized uh, portions for you. The first portion is in verses 1 to 5, and, and I call it a series of questions. Because that's what we see here. If, if you look there, not that you have to count this, but I did, there are six question marks in those five verses. Now, we're not going to ask all six questions. I'm going to try to summarize them in three. Okay, But Paul begins with the question, basically... Uh, I have to read what I wrote. Why are you allowing yourself to be hoodwinked 
Use your head. That's, that's essentially what Paul is saying in verse 1. He calls them, oh foolish Galatians. He kind of chides them. Now, Paul is talking to, you know, he's talking as a teacher to this uh, group of uh, kind of uh, unresponsive students. And what a wise teacher does is he asks questions. Because as you ask questions, you're, you're forcing them to draw conclusions, right? So he asks them these questions, but he, he starts off chiding them that they really weren't thinking things through. He says, oh foolish Galatians. One paraphrase, put it this way, you poor ignorant people from Galatia. They weren't using, they weren't thinking logically. Humanity is uh, also kind of gullible. We tend to be gullible people. I hate, I hate to kind of make you admit that today, but it's, but it is true. Um, we we can be easily led astray. That's why God refers to us many times as sheep. And you know, when He calls you sheep. That's kind of a tender term, and we kind of like it, but it's not a great compliment. Because sheep are often uh, not very smart. And they often go astray, and they're often led astray. And sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable to all kinds of things. And so, sadly, uh, false teaching can and has easily taken root and caused people to go astray because they haven't really thought it through. And Paul's getting, he says basically, who has bewitched you? That word bewitched has the idea of, um, you know, cast a spell on you almost. But, but basically, they were fascinated by this false teaching. They got enamored by the, the Judaizers. Somehow, uh, whatever, however they were presenting it, uh, intrigued them and, and drew them away. But Paul says, no, you get... Use your head. Think about this, guys. And so the first question is, um, you know, why are you allowing yourself to be hoodwinked? Why are you allowing yourself to be drawn away by false teachers? You need to think about this. Um, He says, Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Basically, Paul is saying, uh, it wasn't very long ago that I was there and I, and I taught you, I, I showed you how that Christ died for our sins. So this is what he's saying. He's saying, you know, Paul had presented it to them so vividly that it was almost like they could picture it in their mind. It was so, you know, set before them. They, they saw, uh, they, it was evidently set before them. They, you know, it was like, the word kind of has the idea of, of almost like a billboard. And Paul had so thoroughly taught this that salvation is by faith in Christ and Christ was crucified. And now, how is it that you've all of a sudden turned away to something else? How is is it that you've been tricked to follow after this false teaching? So let's let's look at uh, question number two. How is it that you received salvation by works? Or by faith. That's what we find in verse 2. He says, This only would I learn of you. Answer me one thing, basically, we could say. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law 
or by hearing of faith? And we know the answer, right? They knew the answer. When you receive the Spirit, what's that mean? That's synonymous with getting saved. If you've been saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in uh, Romans 8 that if you, anyone has not the Spirit of God, he's none of his. Every born-again believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's a tremendous thing. What a, what a, you know, it's kind of a, it's one of those fearful and awesome things all at the same time. That the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence. That's what the Bible says. He says in Corinthians, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? And so, uh, every believer has received the Spirit. And how do we receive the Spirit? Did you receive it because uh, by going through some law-keeping, some works, doing something that you finally you know, reach the milestone and now you get to have the Holy Spirit? Is that how it came? Of course not. You receive the Spirit of God simply when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And they would know this. These are Christians he's writing to. Though they had been uh, bewitched. In Ephesians chapter 1, I, I like what it says here in verse 13. And it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So there he says, you, you heard and then you trusted. And then what happens? It says, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our, of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. So the question is, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works or by faith? And the answer is by faith. Now, verse 5 is very similar. So I'm going to lump it in with verse 2. Look at verse 5. He says, He therefore that ministereth the Spirit, or to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So basically, verse 2, he's talking to those who have received the Spirit. And he said, Did you receive him by works or by faith? Well, the answer is by faith. And then he's talking in verse 5 about he that gives the Spirit. Did he give him... Give His Holy Spirit to you because of works or because of faith. Basically, it's both sides, you know. Did you receive because of faith? Yes. Did, you, did He give it to you because of faith? Yes. And not of works. So, um, let, me, let me give you something to look up. Let's, let's do it. I always debate whether to turn to all these, but Acts chapter 11... Acts chapter 11, verse 1. It says, The apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. And guess how they had received the Word of God? Well, they received it from Peter. And so Peter is being called into question. Why did you go and preach to the Gentiles? And verse 2 says, When Peter was come up from Jerusalem, they, were, uh, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest 
in to men uncircumcised and did eat with them. <gasps> you know, that's what the Jews would have done. They would have gasped. <gasps> you went to the Gentiles? Why did Peter do it? Well, in verse 4 it says, Peter rehearsed the matter. And you know the story. When he was in Joppa, he saw this vision of the sheet with all the animals in it. And God says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And he said, no, Lord, there's unclean animals. He said, what I've called clean, don't call uh, unclean. And three times this happened. And then right at the, at the end of that, there was a knock on the door and the Gentiles were there saying, the Lord sent us. An angel said, go and find Peter and he will tell us what we need to hear. So, look all the way down to um, verse number 14. Here's what they said, you know, go and find Peter, the end of verse 13, verse 14, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And I love what it says, verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, what was I that I could withstand God? Do you see Peter's argument? They said, why did you go preach the Gentiles? He said, look, the Lord showed me this thing and then, then He sent me there and as soon as I preached and they believed, they received the Holy Spirit. So, you know, why are you, why are you calling me on the carpet? This is what God was doing. But the point is, um, in verse 15, He began to speak to them the Gospel and these people were so ready. I mean, their hearts were hungry to know the, the message of salvation, that as soon as they heard it, they believed, and immediately, had they been circumcised? No. Had they gone to church? No. Did they, did they do some kind of good works? No. All they did was hear the gospel and believe it, and receive the Holy Spirit, the seal of salvation. So, this is what Paul is saying to them in Galatians. Just like, those that Peter preached to, uh, these Galatians had received the Spirit by faith. And then he says, are you so foolish? In, verse, uh, or in verses 3 and 4, this third question, if salvation begins by faith, do you suppose you have to keep it by works? Or if salvation begins by faith, do you suppose that now it's by works that you, you know, become uh, mature in, in, in Christ. That's what he says. Look at what he says in verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You began in faith. You began because of a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you, do you think, how do you continue? Same way, you continue in faith. You continue by the work of the Spirit of God. You began by faith. You continue by faith. You couldn't get saved by works. Nor can you keep your salvation by works. It was the Spirit that drew you to faith and it's the Spirit that will perfect His work in you.
And then verse 4, he basically says, was all this in vain? You know, you suffered uh, becoming a Christian. It was harder in that day to become a Christian as far as uh, the reaction of the people around them. If a Jew turned to Christianity, you know, embraced Christ, they were ostracized by the, the Jews. When the Gentiles turned from their idols and their false temples and all of that and embraced Christ, they were likewise persecuted. And basically he's saying, you know, you've suffered all those things and you, all this has been your experience. Was that all for nothing? Are you going to return back to the law, back to the works? Back to trying to earn it on your own? So this was Paul's kind of lesson to them in these three questions. And then we've come to verse 6 through 9, the second uh, portion. And I call this a strong illustration. He says, As Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. I I'm, imagine that the, um, the Judaizers spoke much of Moses, you know, the lawgiver. And Moses was a great man of God. He was by faith. But, you know, they would emphasize Moses. And Paul says, let's, let's, if you want to talk about the father of faith, let's go back even further than Moses, the father of faith, Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham. And so he, he takes them to Abraham, and he says Abraham, was, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Let's turn again to, uh, in our Bibles to, this time, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I know you know this story. I could just refer to it, but it's always good to look at them. We're here to read and study the Scriptures. So, Genesis chapter 15. And at, beginning at verse 1, we read that, uh, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, uh, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. You know, so the Lord begins by saying, Look, I am your great reward. I have a great blessing for you. And he said, But I have no one to pass it on to. I don't have any seed. I don't have any, you know, any son, any child. Only one born in my house, a servant. And then the Lord says this in verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. One who's born from your own uh, body. And he says, He brought him forth, verse 5, abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if, you, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Do you get that picture? He said, Abraham, walk outside tonight and look up at the sky and, and count the stars. And Abraham looked at the sky and he said, that's impossible. <laughs> There's too many. And God said, you're right. But that's how many descendants I will give you. 
And then it says, um, verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is what Paul's saying back in Galatians 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Let me take you quickly to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I just want to tie another scripture to that thought for a moment. John chapter 8, verse uh, 54. Jesus is in a discussion with the Pharisees in this chapter. And in verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. So he's making, you know, God his father, which drove them a little nuts. And it says in verse 55, Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his sayings. And then he says, And your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he, and he saw it and was glad. There's something interesting. I just thought it was interesting where the Lord said, um, you know, Abraham longed to see the Messiah, the, the day of Christ, and he did. And of course they said, well, you're, you're, you've got to be crazy because you're, you know, Abraham lived so long ago. But Abraham saw by faith. And you know, he said, he talked you know, there about his descendants. And I, and I just actually, this was the first time this thought came to me was as I was studying this this week. I can see, and I don't know if I can convey it to you very well, but I can see where in the continuing seed of Isaac, Abraham saw by faith Christ. Let me try to help you a little bit. Um, you know, Isaac's birth was miraculous, right? He was born as to one who was, you know, 100 years old. His, 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 basically, you know, the Bible says he was, his ability to co- produce children was dead. <laughs> you know, he was dead, and Sarah's womb was dead. And humanly speaking, impossible. But Isaac came, he was the child of faith. And his birth was miraculous. And then we know that... Um, you know, the Lord had Abraham take Isaac up on the mount and offer him as an offering. But then he provided the ram, the substitute, and said, don't kill Isaac, but here in the thicket there's a ram. And he, you know, that's what Abraham said when Isaac said, where's the lamb? And he said, God will provide himself a lamb. And I think even through that whole process, as, as God brought Isaac into Abraham's life, he He saw the illustration. He saw the picture. He saw by faith Christ. A miraculous birth. A substitute to die in our place. And the Lord said, Abraham saw Him by faith. And so his faith, all he did was by faith, he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was credited to his account as righteous. So this is Paul's illustration of the gospel. You know, it says in um, uh, verse 8 that back in Galatians, the scripture foreseeing that God would 
justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham. So he says in verse 9, So they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. The blessing there is salvation. We received God's righteousness by faith. And we are blessed with Abraham. We are blessed like Abraham. So he says there in those verses there's a blessing that comes by faith. And then we move to the third point. We've seen this series of questions, a strong illustration, and now a summary conclusion. And I'm going to go quickly here as well. Um, There's a lot we could say in these verses, but verses 10 to 14. Basically, he says there's two approaches to God that men try. The one is the road marked works and the law, and the other is the road marked faith and grace. And he says if you go down the road marked law and works, there's a curse. It's a dead end street. The bridge is out. I remember when we uh, were, when I was a boy, we basically lived like in the middle between my grandfather's, my grandparents on my father's side and my grandparents on my mother's side, which is convenient. You know, we were kind of right in the center. And often it was a Sunday kind of outing for us, not every week, but very frequently. We would go either, uh, I guess it would be east to my Grandpa Klein's house or northwest to my Grandpa Thomas. You didn't know where I got my first name, but that's where I got it. Um, so... We would go to Grandma Thomas's house, and as far back as I can remember, we would go, and they, le- they both lived way out in the country, but you'd drive down this road, and, and we had to turn, and at the turn, there was a sign that said, Bridge Out. And I, as when I was just a little kid, it said, Bridge Out. Then I turned 16, and I was driving my parents to my grandmother's, and um, the sign still said, Bridge Out. And I think I left there when I was 18. It still was out. That bridge just never was going to be put back. But, you know, there's so many that go down this road of works, trying to earn, trying to curry favor with God, trying to, and, and they have some faith. Their faith is basically, um, you know, I believe God is good. I believe that if I'm just, you know, a decent person, um, God, you know, and so they say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in a God that just lets people into heaven because they're, they're nice people. And I think I'm a nice person. And they're always trying to build that bridge to heaven. But Paul tells us here that the bridge is out. And you can't build it back. If you came today hoping to put another brick in the bridge, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an endless process that ends with only despair because you can never build the bridge back that road that's labeled works <coughs> earn <coughs> earn heaven is a dead end the road to through faith in Christ is the narrow way that leads to eternal life 
Now, if, if the Lord required us to build the bridge ourselves, more would probably respond. Because we tend to kind of like that, you know. I think we would like to be one day in heaven and say, do you see that bridge? I built that bridge. That's the Tom Klein Memorial Bridge. And what a grand bridge. You see that bridge? The Cameron Opperman Bridge? It's an okay bridge. <laughs> but it's not a great bridge. I think that's what, you know, a lot of people would like to do. But God said no. Salvation is not by the works of man's hands. Salvation is not by keeping the law. It's by faith in Christ. And so... If there is someone listening today, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, if you have never received the Spirit of God by faith, then I want to point you to that road. And if you've been going down the the road where the bridge is out, you might as well turn around and get on the right road. Because only by faith in Christ do we receive the Spirit of God and we are, like Abraham, blessed. God's righteousness credited to us. Because in verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. You see, the Lord took our curse for us. That the blessing of Abraham, verse 14, might be on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, which has received this promise of the Spirit through faith. And what a great truth that is. The Lord took our curse so He could give us His blessing. Let's pray.